and welcome everyone to episode number six of the Pensburg podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, uh, joined this week by another brand new host to the podcast. He is another great contributing writer here at Pensburg. He is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how are you? Good. How about you, Garrett? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, well, pretty well, as, as well as I can, considering what the Penguins have done uh, in their uh-huh. last last five games. Yeah. Yep. So since our last podcast, uh, the Penguins have played in three contests. And uh, unfortunately, th- there isn't a whole lot of positives to take away from the last three games. Uh, at the time of recording, the, the, the Penguins are off. But in the midst of a five-game losing streak, I believe it is the longest such losing streak under head coach Mike Sullivan. But since our last recording, the Penguins have had games uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New Jersey Devils, and the Washington Capitals. And uh, Robbie, I, I guess we'll go one by one and kind of dissect some of the, the bigger talking points from these last three games and, and kind of look ahead to what the Penguins may be doing down the road uh, in order to snap this this five-game funk that they've been in. Yeah, that Toronto game was an ugly way to kind of come back home. They did, I mean, they came home against the Islanders in a super emotional game, dropped that, got a point on the island. And you think maybe they got some of that rust off from the long road trip. And then they show up, PPG Paints Arena, no Austin Matthews for the Leafs, and it did not matter. They kind of returned the favor with a shutout of their own, answering the Penguins from uh, a few weeks back and just kind of took it to the Pens all night. And the Pens just looked bad in that game. Yeah, it, it really, I remember there was, I think it was towards the end of the game, so it was relevant at this point, but but, but the Leafs, really for the entirety of the night were just having their way with the Penguins. And it, it was the, the game against the Leafs, the, the loss, I should say, the loss against the Leafs really, really encapsulated what this, this little, this losing streak has been about, you know, giving up five goals uh, after taking the loss against the, or yeah, taking the, the, I believe it was a shootout loss on the Island. Uh, Correct. Like, like you mentioned, and then going into their next game, like you said as well, it, it felt it felt like Toronto was getting a little bit of retribution for for the the three nothing victory that Pittsburgh took uh, a few games prior to to this meeting. And like you said, they didn't have Austin Matthews, but they didn't need they clearly didn't need Austin Matthews. Uh, but what I would say about Toronto is you kind of felt like, and I felt like this going into. Uh, their the the game against Toronto the three nothing shutout win for the Penguins. I thought in that game, the, the the Maple Leafs were going to beat the Penguins and beat the Penguins pretty handily, considering all the offensive firepower that they had. And it, it didn't happen. Obviously, the Penguins got that three nothing win, but all that offensive firepower, the Leafs must have just been storing that for this game. And, and I think it showed with really a, just a five nothing clobbering of the team. You don't need yeah. Austin Matthews, and you don't need you, you don't need William Nylander. Just to, to, just to see that this team can put five goals up. Yeah, that game against the Leafs was kind of like a microcosm for the Penguins all season. Uh, just some of the issues that had plagued them before that road trip were there again. And it was goaltending. It was defense. It was uh, no scoring. If the Stars weren't scoring, nobody was scoring. And, yeah, going into that game on October 18th in Toronto, everybody's like, man, this is going to be a real test for this team. Toronto's fast. Matthews is just absolutely tearing up the league and they win that game. And then they go through Canada, just pretty much tore up Western Canada while looking very, very good while looking like the team that we expect. And then they come home from that road trip and they've just, again, the same problems are back again. It's, I don't know what the answer is. Um, We'll talk about it a little bit later, but the Jim Rutherford uh, tirade, I, I mean, this is, the same issues. It's the same players. It's the same issues every night. And we kind of went through this last year and they turned out fine. By the time the spring rolled around, none of that mattered. But this is still frustrating as a fan because you're just doing the same thing every night. Your results aren't going to change. That game against Toronto on November 3rd was just a microcosm of everything. And it didn't get better from there. No. Yeah. You, the, the main points you brought up that, that have been, uh, that have been infesting the Penguins' play for, um, for for a negative impact. We're talking a, a lack of even strength scoring. Uh, like you said, if, if the stars weren't putting it, if if the if the stars weren't putting it in the back of the, of the net, then nothing was going in. Uh, the lack of defense in front of Matt Murray and uh, including the shaky play from from Matt Murray himself. 
all three of those things have probably combined to to put the Penguins in the position that they are now. After the five nothing loss, they they come back home on Monday the fifth against the Devils. And it was more of the same, except this time around, they were able to get one goal, but it was still, they still gave up five goals so that they gave up two goals in a ten, 10 or 10 goals, excuse me, 10 goals in a two game span uh, and losing five, one against the devils that night. It was, it felt like it was more of the same. And you're thinking to yourself, at least I'm thinking to myself, okay, the devils are, the devils have some youth and they have some speed. And, you know, th- those two things, for the longest time, the Devils didn't have either of those two things. No, but- I mean, the dev- yeah, the Devils are better than what they were in the past years. There's no question about that. They showed that last year. But the Devils are still not a team that's built to just outscore you. And the Penguins, I, Brian Boyle, you shouldn't be letting up. Brian, Bo- Brian Boyle is a good hockey player. He shouldn't be hat-tricking you. That Taylor Hall, Nico Heischer, fine. It's just, I mean, they go down one nothing, they tie it up, and then the wheels come off again. And again, same story. Defense, goaltending, off, no offense because the Stars aren't the ones putting the puck in the net. And it's just, it's just frustrating. I don't really know what the answer is uh, right now. Obviously, it's a wait-and-see kind of thing. But uh, the 5-1 loss in New Jersey was – uh, really disheartening because that's a team that they could have got back on the winning track against, and they just again fell apart in that game. Exactly, exactly. You uh, you you kind of hit the nail on the head there. New Jersey isn't the team that they they have garnered the reputation for for being that slow, boring, methodical kind of hockey team that 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 brought them the Stanley Cup glory in the late '90s and early 2000s. That team identity is is long gone, and they're they're built on Taylor Hall. Nico Heischer, speed, youth, and skill. But still, we're talking about we're, we're, when, when comparing the New Jersey Devils to a team like the Penguins who have won the Stanley Cup two out of the last three seasons, you, you don't go into a game like that thinking the Devils are going to put up put five in the back of your net and you're going to end up with with such a lopsided uh, such a lopsided loss. It, it's it's not it's not unthinkable. It's not unfathomable because anything can happen in this league. But I was with you. I, I thought the Penguins were going to look at New Jersey at home. They were going to right the ship and and snap out of this this losing streak that they had been on. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Then they go into the primetime lights in the nation's capital and play the Washington Capitals on Wednesday night hockey. And uh, this game, the most recent game for that matter, uh, it looked promising for about – 58, 59 minutes of, of hockey. Uh, Sidney Crosby getting the getting the the goal to give the Penguins the lead, um, and the Penguins really playing. They play they played like the better team against the Washington Capitals. They they I, in oh, my yeah. opinion in my opinion the Penguins deserved to win that game, and they deserved to win that game rather comfortably had it not been for multiple Penguins ringing posts, and had it not been for Braden Holtby all of a sudden turning into the biggest brick wall in the nation's capital for, for, for whatever reason, it seems like whenever Braden Holtby has to face this team, he, he turns into a superhero and I'm not trying to discredit Braden Holtby. Uh, I mean, we've obviously both know the kind of skill that Holtby has, but it, it, it just for 59, for 58, 59 minutes of, of, of a 60 minute hockey game, the Penguins controlled pretty much c- controlled the entirety of that game. And for, for TJ Oshie, and, and we'll get to TJ Oshie in more detail in just a second, for, for TJ Oshie to, to just snipe one past Murray with a minute 15 left in regulation to eke out that 2-1 win, the, the Capitals were just undeserving of, of taking those two points. And some nights you're going to get games like that. You can't win them all. And some, 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 day, some games you, you do play better than the opposition and don't get rewarded with anything. But it just came – it just feels like – Taking that that rough two one loss against the, your your biggest divisional foe, it just doesn't sit right with me. I'm sure it doesn't sit right with you and a lot of other Penguins fans in the middle of the slump. No, I mean you can make an argument. Last night was the best game they played all season, um, from a pure statistical standpoint. Like uh, looking at the kind of underlying stats, completely dominated the game. Even strength, they were just all over the Capitals, and. They just could not get that goal to go in on even strength. Crosby scores in the power play, and 
they just could not get that that second goal, third goal, fourth goal to go in. And I mean, Holtby used to have this thing against the the narrative was that he can't beat the Penguins. Uh, they knocked him out in sixteen and seventeen on the way to the Cup. He kind of just he just didn't seem to have it against the Penguins. Well, he kind of turned over a new leaf in the playoffs last year, finally getting that that series win. And I mean, he made a big save on Gensel in the first game of the year, and he just, he was making saves last night again. And yeah, it's frust- it's absolutely frustrating to lose a game like that, whether you're on a ten game winning streak or a five game losing streak. Uh, you hate to lose those games, but those games happen. And if it's if it happened on the ten game losing streak, it's easy to swallow. But in, when you're struggling like this and you lose that kind of game, it stings more and it lasts a little more, especially when it's a rival like the Capitals. There's definitely positives to take away from that game. Uh, Mike Sullivan said just as much uh, last night. It looked like uh, Zach Aston Reese and Garrett Wilson definitely added some jump to this lineup, whether that is sustainable um, or just a fresh legs kind of situation. Hey, we're getting a chance. We're going to go hard here. Um, it doesn't look like the Daniel Sprong uh, experiment is working out. So we're probably going to see uh, ZAR here for an extended period of time. And Garrett Wilson played very good last night. I'm still not a fan of breaking up that top power play unit because uh, I just, when you got all them stars, you just load a top line and do damage with it. They were, they were the best power play unit in the league last year, uh, bar none, and it wasn't even close. Just roll with that. And I think that the the signs, the positive signs are there. They just need to find a way to score more goals. I, I, I don't know if, and I'm sure we'll get into this more in, in a couple of minutes here when, when we talk about uh, what the Penguins may be doing in terms of roster construction uh, going forward. But I, I don't know if, if, if it's just a sheer lack of talent in the bottom six. I, I mean, it can't be. I, I, I mean, look at the, I mean, I know they, they were riding with, with Derek Grant and a 42-year-old Matt Cullen and Daniel Sprong really, you know, he's been inconsistent in and out of the lineup. And like you said, they, they bring up uh, Aston Reese and, and Garrett Wilson. They, they slot those two guys in. And you could visibly tell uh, throughout the night, uh, again, throughout the game against the Capitals, that you know that when they were given chances, they they tried their best to execute. Uh, I, I believe Garrett, Garrett Wilson, I believe, had either a breakaway or a really clean two-on-one on Braden Holpe, and he couldn't convert. I mean, I, I don't blame Garrett Wilson for not converting on Braden yeah. Holpe. Yeah, but it, it's still well, the Penguins are in a weird scenario or, or a weird situation, and it, I don't think th- this is a situation where they've where they've been in for quite some time uh i go back to um i remember reading something i i it's a shame i can't remember what uh what outlet it was from but um the the question was posed have the penguins has the rest of the nhl caught up to the penguins have the penguins lost that that speed that that got them the two stanley cups in 16 and 17 is that completely evaporated i i don't know at this point yeah, I think it was actually Adam Gratz who put that you know on our site. You're right. You're um, right. I, 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 I think it was in mul- like a version of that same thing was in multiple places because that's a common question being asked. But I know that Adam had something on our site, uh, pretty much looking at that exact scenario. And I don't want to say the speed's gone, but I definitely, obviously, it's a copycat league. The Pens won like that in 2016. Teams saw that. There's in 2016. One team could keep up with them, and that was Tampa Bay. The only team that took them seven games in that in the playoffs that year, they pretty much dominated all six games against San Jose. They completely wiped out the Rangers. And the Caps, the President's Trophy that year, the Penguins pretty much took them down in six games in pretty dominating fashion. And that's because they were just so fast, and nobody else, nobody else was built for that at that time. You saw it creep up in 2017, and last year, in combination with the just empty gas tank, teams are catching up. And I'm not saying the Penguins are any slower. I just don't – it's just everybody else is just as fast now. And when you level the playing field, it's going to get harder. You're not going to go in every night and just skate teams to death when they can skate with you. And a part of it's roster construction, I think. Um, Jim Rutherford kind of – teed off last night it kind of broke during uh the game against the capitals and as much as rutherford said a lot of stuff that was right 
Rutherford is a part of – I mean, there's a part of blame that goes to Rutherford as well because of the roster construction. Mike Sullivan can only put on the ice what he's given. And a part of the roster construction, that falls on the general manager. And if you look at what they have right now and what was out there, I mean, you got to put some blame on Rutherford as well as much as as much success as he's had in Pittsburgh. And we'll see what he does going forward because it's going to get interesting if they continue to struggle. This is going. To, this is going. I think this is going to be a story that we're going to be following uh, up and uh, probably through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, if not into the new year. Uh, I, I mean, we, we both know that Rutherford, uh, he, he's not afraid to make a move, and he's, he certainly has an itchy trade finger uh, ready to pull that trigger whenever he feels it's necessary. You're right because looking at the last two summers that Rutherford has had in terms of free agency, he's brought in Matt Hunwick. Anti Niemi, uh, they're both gone now, uh, and they were both done away with rather quickly. The Rutherford had to trade away Connor Sherry in the deal with Matt Hunwick just to sh- just to shed Hunwick's uh, salary. Sherry to, has six goals with Buffalo right now. I mean, see that, that right there. That is the that is the depth scoring that Connor Sherry could be providing the still be providing the Penguins had he not had to have been attached to the salary dump with, with Matt Hunwick. I mean, it's the blame. You don't want to put all the blame on Jim Rutherford. Uh, I mean, the blame can be shouldered by, by Rutherford, by the players, by the fact that, you know, last, last year they were dealing with uh, a brutal schedule with the back-to-backs and coming off the Stanley Cup win. There are a multitude of factors that have led to, to where we are right now. But looking at where Rutherford has put this team, because you're right, Mike Sullivan can only play with the roster that he's given. Jim Rutherford is pri- is primarily the person in charge of personnel and bringing in the players he feels are necessary to get that uh, third Stanley Cup in four years. So he, like I said, he's done away with Anthony Niemi, um, Matt Hunwick. He's brought in Jack Johnson and... We, we all know what Jack Johnson's reputation has done here in the early part, already in the early part of November. And remember, the Sherry, the Sherry trade was to clear space for Johnson. Exactly. And that's, you know, we're beating dead horses at this point. We're all fans at heart. And even though we're contributing and we're, you know, we're writing our thoughts um, and, you know, we're supposed to we're supposed to maintain a little bit of journalistic integrity when reporting on this team and, you know, not to show too much bias. but Still, the, the fact remains, we're all fans at heart. And yeah. some of us are, you know, follow this team a lot more closely than others. And the ones that do follow this team closely and follow the league uh, much more closely than than the average casual fan. When you look at a signing like the Jack Johnson signing, I mean, there were uh, going back to when the rumors started circulating in, in, I believe it was like June, mid to late June, when Johnson was link, linked to the Penguins. I mean, it was from day one. It was outcry, so much negative yeah. outcry for bringing mm-hmm. a 31-year-old defenseman who's had a track record of terrible possession statistics and bogging down his defensive partner, bogging down the entire team in his own zone. And it's become evident already in the games that he's played uh, as a Penguin that he's done just that, bogging down his defensive partner. Uh, you know, he, he's on for more goals against than he is for. It's – I don't know what <laughs> – like you just don't know what goes through a guy Jim Rutherford's head when signing a guy like Jack Johnson to the contract he was given. It's just it's mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean a one-year contract for Johnson I could have lived with. Even a two-year I could have lived with. Five years for any thirty-one-year-old defenseman that's not I'm talking elite caliber defenseman is probably absurd. It's probably just just say no to that. And again, the Schultz injury is not helping them back there. Even Chris Letang, all the credit in the world to Chris Letang, he looks like a Norris caliber defenseman right now. He is playing out of his mind. And they put him with Johnson, and you can't just keep Dumoulin and Letang together. Just work with your other four then, because Dumoulin and Letang is your best pairing. Every night, I you have two of the best defensemen in the league right there. Don't mess with that. Please don't mess with that. What you do with Jack Johnson, you can't do anything with Jack Johnson right now because the Schultz injury. And you can't do anything with him 
at, at least until the Seattle expansion happens, which is either in another year or two. So if let's say take an expensive buyout, Jack Johnson's a penguin for the foreseeable future as much as it pains me to say that. But that is the bed that Rutherford made himself. Why Jack Johnson? I don't know. If it was the, well, look what Gontar can do with these guys. Look what Gontar did with Alexiak. Jamie Alexiak's not 31 years old. Jamie Alexiak's having a great year. But one, he's not super expensive and he's not 31 years old. What? I still don't understand the Jack Johnson deal. And I won't until he does something of of note that's positive. And they ha- they have no choice but to march him out there right now because they have no depth down in Wilkes-Barre to bring up. And with Schultz out, they can't hide him anywhere. With everybody else below that top pairing, playing below average, that includes Mata and Rikula not. I mean, Rikula has to adjust to the North American game. I understand that. You have nowhere to hide Johnson Johnson right now. And it's frustrating to watch him go out there every night. And but there's nothing we can do about it. That's that's what Mike Sullivan has to has to work with right now. And offensive or on the offensive side, the forward side, you didn't need to bring like I love Matt Collin. Hero in Pittsburgh, two cups. Probably not the right guy to bring in. Not when a guy like Anthony Duclair was out there, uh an affordable as an affordable piece, just stuff like that. You just want, what was the thought process there? Take, take the, you're, you're right. Take the nostalgia glasses off. If you haven't already in terms of Matt Cullen, he's 41, 42 years old. And there have been multiple times throughout multiple games already this season where he looks every bit of a 41 or 42 year old hockey player. But he looked like that last year though, in Minnesota, like this isn't like, he didn't look good in Minnesota last year. And then all of a sudden look bad coming to Pittsburgh. Like he showed those signs last year in Minnesota. Like I, so again, another one, I, I understand Rutherford's loyal to him, but common sense has to prevail at some point. You're, you're right. Loyalty to a, to a, to a longtime NHL veteran is one thing, but I mean, at, at what cost it's because Matt Cullen, it, it's not entirely on him. He's not, he's not single-handedly making this team worse, but there, like you said, uh, bringing up Anthony Duclair, he was out there as an affordable option, a much younger option with probably a decent bit of more skill given his age. And Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford goes out and and chooses to bring back Matt Cullen for for what for locker room presence. I mean, you you can't really sell me just me and personally, you can't sell me on locker room presence. When you know, given the success that this team has already had, uh, I, I know Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are hungry for more, and I, I'm sure they both love Matt Cullen to death. And I'm sure you know there is truth to the fact that he probably is a, a locker room guy, and he's a great presence to have around, a great veteran leader. But you're you're right. You said common sense must prevail, and so far, probably within the last the last two summers that Rutherford has had to to dance in the free agent market common sense has not prevailed uh, a whole hell of a lot and it's it's a shame it's not i, I don't know if, a sh- if, the, if it's a shame if that's the right term i want to use it's just disappointing to see where this team was to s- slowly see where this team has gone over the last uh two seasons yeah for uh, a team that has been so proud like prided themselves on advanced stats and kind of taking the lead on that, hiring a specific advanced stats person in Sam Ventura and really riding that stats wave to two cups. And then from there on out, just building a team that's kind of the antithesis of that. Bringing in guys like Johnson, who has a historical track record of one, not, not just failing the eye test, failing the stats test as well. Just atrocious underlying numbers his entire career and then a guy like Cullen when there's guys like Duclair out there who are young and affordable for at least a year and to me that that is where I just cannot wrap my head around what was discussed in the internal meetings that led them to those decisions so let's get wild here let's throw out some some hypotheses and see what happens what kind of what kind of leash uh, I mean I'm 
I'm probably I'm sure it's probably a long one given the success that he's had uh, with two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. But what kind of leash do you think Jim Rutherford is on at this point? My, Rutherford my, himself. Go ahead. Uh, my, my my mind is telling me Rutherford will be here until he decides to retire. My heart, for, for as much as I think, for as much success as Rutherford has brought the city of Pittsburgh and the Penguins as a franchise, is it time to move on from a 70-year-old general manager to try and get an infusion of youth, someone who has a younger outlook on, on the NHL, like Kyle Dubas in Toronto? Uh, look at the way he's been able to construct his roster um, you know, I don't follow the Maple Leafs that closely, but I'm fairly certain that they're relying on advanced statistics in a much more heavier style than a 70-year-old former goaltender would. It, j- it just seems that way because you brought up Jack John- the Jack Johnson signing, not passing the eye test or the stats test. And as soon as you brought up the, the Jack Johnson, um, as soon as you brought up his name, my mind immediately went back to a guy that we haven't even mentioned, and that was Ryan Reeves, you know, Jim Rutherford mm-hmm. working to, to bring back that that gritty sandpaper kind of player that that um, he did. He tried to do with Steve Downey in his early the, the early part of his tenure year here in Pittsburgh, having that that gritty fourth liner who can stand up for the super for the superstars. Um, you know, I hate that I hate that narrative so much. The, the the gritty the gritty fourth liner trying to stand up for when the superstars take a beating. I think it's a, such a stupid. Uh, a stupid narrative that, that that keeps getting played around in, in, in NHL circles. And it's primarily, it's primarily the, the, the older guys who have taken on those general manager roles. And, you know, I'm just, I'm talking out of, I'm probably just talking out of my ass here as a person with no experience whatsoever in the NHL, but it's, you know, that philosophy, having that, that gritty player, uh, you know, protecting your stars or bringing in a guy like Jack Johnson, uh, like you said, it, it's it, the roster construction that that Rutherford has put this that that has he has put this team into this point. It, it's it's kind of almost undone everything that made them successful the last two years. So I, I'm just interested in seeing, you know, how long, how much longer d- does Rutherford continue ho- holding on to this position of general manager? Yeah, that's a good question, and it is kind of wild to think about because, like you said, two cups in the last three seasons, that's nothing to bat your eye at. That's more successful than uh, 30 other teams in the league. And, yeah, the leash is probably longer than what people might think it is, uh, even with the questionable signings over the last few summers. Um, If you remember, when he came to town in 2014, that whole entire – he'd just been fired from Carolina – that caused a controversy in itself. Nobody ever just questioning why they brought in this guy that just fired, hadn't been in the playoffs since 09. He was just, uh, he kind of lost his, lost his fastball. And uh, he comes in and pretty much flipped that entire roster in less than two seasons, back-to-back cups, and forever one of the most successful gen- general managers in not only Penguins history, but NHL history. But, when he also when he came in in 2014, he said three years, and he he had he had Bill Guerin, Jason Botterill, and some other names thrown floating around there. They all were kind of like assistant general managers. Botterill was always probably leaving. That was probably unless he got the Pittsburgh job, he was always probably heading out. And I, I don't buy the that he had that much of an impact on the Penguins uh, leaving. I think that that narrative is overblown. Um, yeah, he's good with numbers, but he hasn't exactly blown the doors off in Buffalo. Uh, and he has a all world talent in Jack Eichel there. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feed in too much to that narrative, but at the same time, a win. And I think if the unimaginable happens, the Penguins don't make the playoffs. I think you'll see changes. And I don't think that situation's coming is going to happen. I really don't see the Penguins missing the playoffs. Uh, it's still young. The Islanders are playing just above their heads right now. The Capitals, I don't think, are as good as the Capitals have been. They're gonna eventually. The hangover is gonna kick in, and I still think the Penguins are good for first, second, third in that division. But at some point, you got to ask about Rutherford. Like, you have guys that are ready to take over, and how long is that leash? I think it's pretty long, unless something the bottom completely falls out uh, by Christmas. I think. And I, I think he's safe until the bottom would completely fall out. But 
yeah, there's definitely questions to ask uh, about Rutherford uh, and some of the deals he's made and what his future is going forward. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting topic, I think, and it's one that it, it it hasn't had to have it hasn't needed to be brought up because of the recent success that the Penguins have had. But you know, are we are we looking too much into a five game slump in late October, early November? There's probably a, a little bit of truth to that, but the 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 track record that Rutherford has in terms of player acquisition, it speaks for itself. There's been a, a couple of good things thrown in there, but is it is it a bold statement to say that the bad has outweighed the good in his tenure in Pittsburgh? I don't. Or the good has outweighed the bad. Or yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, is it is it um, is it that a bold, a bold statement to say? It's uh, no. I mean, I'll take two cups. I mean, you're the first back to back champion in the salary cap era. The first to do it in almost twenty seasons. I no. There's absolutely no. No, Rutherford's leaving town as as a complete hero. I mean, however he goes out, whether it's by firing or just by retirement, there's nothing you can ever say that would diminish what he's done in Pittsburgh because he took a team that was borderline. I mean, they were bad in 2004. Like when they collapsed against the Rangers and then the team, his first year was just a bad hockey team that barely snuck into the playoffs. And he took that roster. I mean, the first movie made was Hornquist in 2014, but he completely re- reshaped that roster in under 18 months and was raising not one but two cups. So, yeah, there's negative. Every GM is going to have negative. I think he's is probably still one of the best in the business of what he does. And there's no way in my mind that the bad outweighs the good when you have two two Stanley Cups in three seasons. You're, you're, you can't, yeah, you can't dispute the, in a league, in a business where winning and championships mean the most. I, I mean, you can't dispute the fact that, yeah, Rutherford has, has won two championships in three years. So while Rutherford will most fondly and deservedly so be remembered for the successes that he brought to Pittsburgh, it's also, it's also fair for criticism to be pointed in his direction for, some of uh, some of this this downslide that the Penguins have been on, but it's it's such a I want to preface that by saying it's such a small sample size right now that the Penguins overall in his what four year tenure as general manager, obviously the the, the success has the successes have outweighed the negatives. You're I, right. Yeah, term, I mean he's fifty. Of- he's won. He's been here. He's four complete years. He's won two cups. Um, you're batting when he's bet when a GM's batting 500 at winning Stanley Cups. He's doing pretty darn good. So it's it's just is it is it that every bottle of milk has has its has its expiration date? Are we reaching that expiration date? Uh, it's you know you know that that's up for debate. Is it too extreme of a debate to be had right now in early November? Probably, but I think it's a fun debate to 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 discuss no matter what. I mean, obviously. You know that you you would want the Penguins to be on a five game winning streak instead of a five game yeah. losing streak, but you know that's the nature of the business. They're on this five game losing streak, and Rutherford has already preached. You know, if if this keeps up, there are changes are going to be made one way or the other, and we've seen that happen before. So it's you know it, it's just uh, interesting. I'll say that I'll say it's interesting, and it's going to be fun to watch where this team goes for better or worse. Uh, if those changes are going to be made uh, and if this team can get back on track. And, you know, yeah. I don't want to be all doom and gloom about, about the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, look at the look at the roster they have. You're relying on Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Phil Kessel, and Matt Murray. I mean, that core right there, nine times out of ten, if they're all healthy, if not ten times out of ten, you know, they're going to get you to the playoffs. So I, I don't want to blow this too too hugely out of out of proportion, but uh, you know, I, I think talking about Rutherford's tenure as general manager, player acquisition, I, I think it deserves to be brought up given the situation the Penguins are in right now. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, um, I think that will just about do it for what the Penguins have done uh, f- since our last recording. We have a tremendous interview lined up with uh, Sean McIndoe from the Athletic. Uh, also known as Down Goes Brown, 
throughout the circles of the interwebs. We have a tremendous interview with him. You do not want to miss it. Uh, uh, Sean prides himself on his NHL and hockey history. And uh, Robbie, I, I think, I think uh, NHL and hockey history was a topic that was touched on a lot in the interview. And I think that makes the interview 10 times better for, for what Sean brought to the table. Yeah, Sean was uh, a great interview, uh, one of the best. Uh, he definitely knows his stuff, and that's not just – he's a Leafs fan. That's not just Leafs history. It's not just he, – he knows hockey history up and down the league, the teams. Um, he's Canadian, so he knows a lot about Canadian hockey history as well, and we talk about that. Um, but, yeah, he's very good. He gives uh, – he gives a lot of praise on Crosby and Malkin, uh, so make sure you uh, listen to that because it is excellent. Uh, well, Robbie, if you're all set on your end, I'm all set on my end, and we can get straight into the interview uh, if you're all ready. I'm good. All right, here is Down Goes Brown. Here is Sean McIndoe of The Athletic. We hope you enjoy. Joining us now on the show, he is an NHL writer for The Athletic and more recently has published a new book detailing the history of the NHL, more commonly known as Down Goes Brown. He is Sean McIndoe. Sean, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. The new book that I just mentioned, you can purchase the new book yourselves. The new book is called The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL. Uh, Sean, if you would, would you mind uh, walking us through some of the steps that you took to to publish this book and give us the perspective you had writing and, and recapping and looking at some of the looking back at some of the history of the league? Was it was this project uh, a difficult task for you? Was it something that you enjoyed doing? I, I believe I remember reading that it took you what close to two years to finally from start to finish to get this book uh, off the ground. Yeah, uh, it, it was basically, it would have been about two years ago uh, right now that we uh, the, had a deal with the with the publisher to, to go ahead on this. So uh, it, this was something that, you know, I, I pitched this uh, to uh, to some of the publishers as something I wanted to do for my, my next book project, uh, largely because I, I've always been a bit of a history geek when it comes to the NHL. I, I've always been, even when I was a little kid, uh, you know, I was always kind of fascinated by those stories of the old days, and and you know, even even uh, you know when you when you're that age, even a few years ago feels like the old days. So you know, everything just kind of felt like sort of foreign and distant, and I was really interested in that. Uh, and you know, I've I've kind of joked a few times that I don't know if that's maybe uh, some somewhat of a factor of, of growing up as a Maple Leafs fan in the Harold Ballard era, where it was just the the present was too painful, so I had to focus my my energy somewhere else, but I, I just, I've always loved those history stories and, and not just the big stuff, you know, I, I mean, I loved hearing about the original six and the, the Stanley Cup dynasties and Gordie Howe and Rocket Richard and all of that stuff, but I also loved hearing like the, the kind of weird stories, the smaller stuff, the stuff that, you know, maybe ultimately didn't end up mattering, but it was just interesting and, and strange and, and kind of, you know, confusing and all of those stories, so... It, my my pitch to the publisher was, look, I want to do uh, the entire history of the NHL, start to finish. I don't want to do a book that's just silly stuff or you know just just the weird stuff. I, I want to I want to cover all the bases, uh, but I want to do it with kind of one eye on those sort of forgotten stories or in a lot of cases stories that uh, even diehard fans have have never really heard before. And uh, you know, my my publisher basically said, okay, are you sure you want to do this? Because this sounds like a lot. And I went, yeah, no, no problem. I'll be able to do it. And then I spent a good part of the next year and a half kind of cursing myself for uh, for biting off uh, maybe a little bit more than I could chew and, and, and wondering how I was ever going to get this thing out the door and have it see the light of day. But we got there, and uh, we've got, uh, you know, a good uh, 100-plus years of NHL history in, in 300 pages, and uh, it's it's very cool to finally have it be out there and on shelves and in the hands of readers who, who are now reading it and, and uh, letting me know what they think and 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 send me emails and tweets and that to tell me like I can't I couldn't believe this story or I'd never heard that one or geez my dad had told me that one 20 years ago and I thought he was full of it and you know it turns out it was actually true and it's uh, it, it's been a lot of fun over the last couple of weeks now that it's out to just have those conversations with people who are getting a chance to read it. You kind of perfectly segued into my next question there. Can can you recall maybe what the the most bizarre factoid, or maybe the most couple couple of bizarre factoids, or that you you found in, in doing your research for this book? You know, it's it's 
it's tough. I keep people keep asking me like, what's what's your favorite story in the book? It it kind of changes for me almost almost day by day. There there are a few uh, that are in there that uh, you know there, there there's some stories in the book that. I remember hearing as a little kid and, you know, to be able to go back and, and nail down the details and find that stuff out was very cool. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I also, I kind of learned about for the first time as I was in the process of doing it. And, and I got to have that reaction of, wait a second, there's, there's no way. And, you know, one of those stories is one that, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh fans uh, may be familiar with from, from the team's earliest days. But this this really blew me away when I started digging and finding out the, the story of the uh, late 60s Penguins who have been at this point been in the league for for a couple of years they're part of that first wave of expansion and they're they're going into St. Louis to play the St. Louis Blues who have even in the in the first couple of years the Blues have established themselves as the best of the expansion teams uh and they've also established themselves as as having pretty good fans and loud fans and nasty fans it's a very tough building to play in uh certainly the toughest of the of the six new ones uh, and so the Pittsburgh Penguins go in there, and their coach Red Kelly comes up with this brilliant idea of how he's going to uh, he's going to counter this, this loud crowd, and that is that he's going to have his players wear earmuffs during the game. And and when I you know I, I have to I have to stop here because a few times I've told the story and people assume that when I say earmuffs that I'm I'm making some reference to some sort of obscure piece of hockey equipment and and I'm not like when I say earmuffs I mean big fuzzy winter earmuffs like you would get at Walmart and and he they go out they buy enough earmuffs for for everyone on the team and there is a rule in the NHL you you can't wear something like that when you're on the ice there are rules in the rule book about what players can and can't wear on the ice, but it only applies on the ice. And the Penguins decided they were going to wear these big fuzzy earmuffs on the bench and so that they wouldn't be intimidated by the crowd while they're on the bench. And so the game starts, and they're wearing the earmuffs, and it works. They can't hear the crowd. Unfortunately, they also can't hear their coaches or each other or the officials or anything else that you need to hear to be to be uh, a, a useful and productive hockey player. And so uh, the game doesn't go well. They're losing like 5 nothing by the end of the first period, and, and the earmuffs all end up getting uh, thrown in the trash. But it, it for one period at least, uh, we had the earmuff experience in, in Pittsburgh, and there, and there still is to this, uh, you know, you can find it on the Internet, a photo of the Pittsburgh Penguins all sitting on the bench, you know, looking very, very gruff and mean and intimidating, except for the fact that they're all wearing these these bright, fluffy earmuffs. I actually didn't know that one, Garrett. I don't know about you. I didn't no, I didn't either. In, in Penguins lore, I actually thought he was going with the mascot penguin that randomly died uh, that they used to carry out in the ice. But uh, that is one that I'll have to tell uh, tell around because that's actually a really good story. Uh, Sean, you've written for various outlets, uh, going all the way back to Grantland at ESPN, uh, and now you're at The Athletic. One of my favorite things that you write is the grab bag every week, and one of my favorite parts of that is the the classic throwback clip, which, I mean, that's kind of hockey history, but every throwback clip is kind of this weird, uh, bizarre event that took place, and what what do you get out of that? Like, what makes you uh, do that every week and to kind of break it down? How do you pick what you use for that? Yeah, I, that that is easily the most fun that I get to have every week, and I like that it runs on Friday because it's kind of like the last thing I get to write. It's sort of the, the you know like like having dessert at the end of a at the end of a meal. It's 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 a lot of fun, and I and thank you for saying uh, that you enjoy it because I, I you know I know that that uh, that column has a uh, you know, kind of a, a loyal uh, following out there, and and if people haven't checked it out, I I hope that they do. Uh, but yeah, the the classic YouTube clip is is one that. Uh, you know, I remember when I, I first pitched this idea. This is I mean, going back five years at, at Grantland, and they said, "Okay, you know, you, you, we want you to have something you can hang your hat on. Have, have something you can do every week uh, that we can pencil you in at the, you know, for for a specific type of column." And and that was kind of this idea I came up with. And I remember even at the time thinking, like, "Yeah, boy, I can think of five or ten classic clips that I would love to do." But I'm going to run out at some point. I mean, there's, you know, I guess I'll just kick the can down the road and I'll worry about that when it happens. And we're here five years later, and I, you know, I still, I still haven't run out. And when I talk about, you know, it's a classic clip. 
there are there have been times where I have done a legitimate classic clip. You know, here's a great moment or at least a very famous moment in NHL history, and then we break it down in great detail, you know, bullet by bullet and, and, and kind of go through it. But a lot of times it's just the silly, goofy stuff. It's, it's you know, when teams get together and decide they're going to try to sing or when Guy Lafleur puts out a disco album or when the... The, the the NHL awards they put on some horrible cheesy Alan Thick song and dance number and uh, <laughs> or or when the Pittsburgh Penguins mascot bites Jean Claude Van Damme and uh, you know in an industrial kitchen <laughs> in, in the movie Sunday you know we use that uh, so it's it's you know a lot of the just kind of weird goofy fun stuff that that's that's fun to break down and and these days you know I, a lot of it I've, I've kind of got a list of clips that I want to use. I've got clips I want to find. I've got clips that sometimes I, I go and find on my own, but a lot of times it's people emailing me. People will be like, oh, you yeah. got you know, you to check out this clip, and then they'll send me some clip that's like, it's like eight years old, and it's got 40 views, and it's, you know, some weird Edmonton Oilers song, and I'll be like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. i gotta, you know, I got to use this. Uh, and it's, it's yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's uh, definitely the, the most fun I get to have in a typical week is uh, sitting down and, and, go, and writing that clip. Sean, as Penguin fans, we've been blessed for the last, if you want to go all the way back to the Lemieux era, we've been blessed for over 30 years to have this generational type talent in Pittsburgh on a nightly basis. More specifically, looking at the, looking at the 2010 Olympics, and I think you, you may know where I'm going with this, Sidney Crosby and the golden goal that, that gave Canada the gold medal. Um, what do you think uh, it, it meant for the average Canadian hockey fan on, on that night watching Crosby? Uh, really, the the NHL's poster boy for for the better part uh, a little over a decade, almost fifteen years now. What does it what did it mean for the average Canadian hockey fan watching Crosby score that golden goal? You know what? It was in a way it was it was just the most perfect moment you could ask for to have, to have uh, you know the greatest player. In overtime against the United States, which which at the time and, and to this day, you know Canada's Canada's greatest hockey rival of, of you know certainly of the the modern era, uh, and uh, it, you know to have it happen under those circumstances on Canadian ice uh, with the entire world watching, it was it was really phenomenal uh, just as a moment, just, you know just just as uh, you know as something to experience, uh, and then beyond that, you know it's 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 interesting like Canada's relationship with hockey at the Olympics has always been a little bit strange because, you know, for years and years and years, uh, you know, going back to the Summit Series in the 70s, Canada has been the number one nation when it comes to hockey, but never in the Olympics because of the way the Olympics were set up, because the NHL didn't go, because all the best Canadian players were in the NHL, it, it, it uh, you know, we, we ended up sending, you know, not even not even a B team. I mean, I, you'd have to go way far down the alphabet to get to the teams that we were sending, and they're going up against the, the Russian professionals and, and, you know, other other countries. And, you know, there was this real kind of sense of almost insecurity in the country that, geez, you know, we're maybe, you know, we, we think we're the best. We're sure we're the best, but oh, it'd be really nice to win that gold medal, and it just never happened, never happened. And lost in the shootout in the 90s, and then you get to the – NHL era, and, and here comes Nagano, and it's 98, and okay, we've got Gretzky. Is Wayne Gretzky is leading Team Canada to the Olympics. I mean, here we go, and instead you get shut down by Dominic Hasek. You don't even win a medal, and okay. And, and, and then 2002 comes along, and it's the 50-year anniversary, the last time you won the gold medal, and you play the U.S., and finally you break through. You have that dream team. You have that big win. You win the gold medal, and it's like you could just feel the monkey coming off the back, the, the giant sigh of relief across the entire entire country that that finally we had done it um but then you know that then it's 2006 and again you don't win a medal and it's like okay you know geez maybe we're not that far as where we thought we were and to then you know is that Sidney crosby moment felt like the tipping point where it was like canada was the the big bully of the international hockey world that finally kind of got up and shook the cobwebs off and said all right you know what this is our sport now this is, you know, this, from this point on, this is ours. And, and ever since, it really has been, you know, the winning streak at the Olympics, of course, and, uh, and, and to, to go on and uh, win again 2014, win the World Cup, you know, have that, that long win streak in, in terms of international play. It was like that kind of Sidney Crosby moment was the, the tipping point where it felt like, all right, now, this is the, the Crosby era is here. We are here. We are ready to win, and, and we're going uh, to kick a little butt and take some names.
Uh, you mentioned the Summit Series uh, in there in the 70s. Uh, where I might be just completely going on a limb here, but where would Crosby's goal rank in comparison to uh, Paul Henderson's goal uh, to beat the Soviets in that Summit Series in 77? Uh, maybe I'm conflating how big that Henderson goal was, but what did that mean for Canada at the time, and where does that kind of – how do they compare to each other? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, and it's it's a generational thing, because if you're asking somebody who was around then – uh, they'll tell you it was the Henderson goal. And if you're asking someone who's a younger fan, you know, who's who's grown up with this era, they probably tell you it's the Crosby goal. If you're asking someone who's around my age, I might say, hey, wait a second, what about Mario Lemieux in 87 in the, you know, the greatest hockey series ever played where Canada and, and the, the Soviets play a three-game series and it's 6-5, 6-5, 6-5, and, and Gretzky to Lemieux wins it with a minute left. Um, you know, the the thing that, that people have to understand with, with the Paul Henderson goal in the Summit Series is just the, the roller coaster of emotions that that series had on on Canadian fans and and just the Canadian national psyche because that was the first time that Canada and the Soviets had played each other best on best and everybody in Canada assumed that Canada was going to win. It was an eight-game series. Canada was going to win the series eight games to nothing. Now we we're going to get to see the Soviets and we're going to get, you know, they they were going to do well and nobody was going to get embarrassed, but but Canada was going to win that series, of course. And then they go out and they lose the first game and that's a stunning upset and then they leave the, the first half of the series in Canada, they're down three games to one, and you're thinking, oh, my God, what is happening? Have, have we been wrong all along? Did we not just underestimate the, the Soviets? Have we overestimated Team Canada? Maybe we're not the country we thought we were. You know, maybe, like, I mean, you've you got a picture. There's this break between the first four games and the next four games, and, and it's like this entire country is having a nervous breakdown because this is our thing. This is the one thing that Canada is known for is hockey. This is the one thing we're the best in the world at, and we're getting our butts kicked by this these these Soviets that we've never played against before. And then you know they go in game five and it's a tie. Now they got to win three straight. They win game six. They win game seven. And now it comes down to game eight. And it, I mean it's the most dramatic scenario you can imagine. Games tied. Couple minutes left. Word is filtering around that uh, you know there's there's no overtime, so the game ends in a tie. The series is going to be tied, but the the word filters down that the Soviets are going to claim victory on total goals because they had more goals in the series and and Paul Henderson scores with a minute left the most dramatic goal you can imagine something literally uh you, you know you you talk to you talk to Americans they talk about the moon landing and watching that and uh you know this this is the moment that all of Canada watched and it was played during the day in Canada they literally had TVs in all the classrooms all of these you know every every Canadian over a certain age can tell you the story of you know, them, them wheeling the TV into the classroom or into the gym so the whole school could crowd around and watch Paul Henderson score this goal with a minute left. And it was like that was the moment that, that you know, it did two things. It, it put Soviet hockey on the map in terms of the, the Canadian and the North American uh, idea and, and realizing that these guys were really a lot better than we give them credit for. But it was kind of that, that drama of having something that everyone in Canada assumed was ours and coming that close to pulling it away and then being able to snatch it back. I mean, it was just, in, in terms of the drama, uh, you know, Sidney Crosby sudden death overtime was great. That was a dramatic game. The 72 Summit Series, that was a dramatic month, and it really was, uh, you know, a dramatic and almost a, a traumatic uh, uh, month for the, for, the, for the entire country until Paul Henderson played hero with a minute left. I think it's nice that both, both of the, our countries here have that kind of signature moment over what was considered the uh, unbeatable Soviets here in that eight-year span there, of course, in 80 at the Olympics in Lake Placid. But switching gears here a little bit, two years ago we celebrated the NHL's 100th anniversary, 100th birthday, whatever they want to call it, centennial celebration. Uh, they came out with their 100 players list, and there's obviously a lot of debate and controversy. And, I mean, in the end it's a, a subjective list, which – crew got together and picked it but you teamed up with greg wasinski and dave lozo to create your own nhl 100 uh so our question is here right now where do you put Sidney crosby in the pantheon of all-time greats and then where do you put malkin who was famously left off the nhl's list but he obviously made your book pretty high on the list yeah i, I mean that that was you know the the two things that frustrated me about the, that NHL list, and, and let me okay, let me start off positive. I think it's great the NHL did that. I think the NHL actually did a really good job handling their centennial and 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 you know bringing forward some of that history and 
and and uh, using it as a sort of a teaching moment to uh, get some names and some teams and some accomplishments in front of uh, a new generation of fans who maybe weren't familiar with them. So I'll give them credit for that. But but what frustrated me about the list that they put out was two things. Number one, it wasn't ranked. It was just here's a hundred guys, and mm-hmm. to me, you're going to do a list. Hey, you got to rank it. So when when I sat down with Greg and Dave to do the book, we that was the first thing we all agreed on is we, you know we're not just going to list a hundred names. We're ranking them one hundred down to number one. The other thing that that was so frustrating was that how few guys from the modern current era were on the NHL list. I mean, Gary Bettman's always saying that there's never been more skill, there's never been more talent than there is in the league right now, and I actually agree with him. I think he's right on that. Uh, and, and you know, plus just even from a marketing perspective, why wouldn't you want to make sure you had some of your modern day stars on that list? And instead, you know, we got basically, you know, the the, the three obvious ones of Crosby, Ovechkin, and Yager, and then anyone who played for the Blackhawks, and that was it. That was <laughs> the only the only modern day yeah. players they had on there. And and you know, not having Malkin on the list was just unforgivable. I mean, that was the one. I you know, there's other guys that I you know that we had on our list that should have been there. You know, Zdeno Chara, Joe Thornton, guys like that. But we can argue over that. I, I think, you know, there's at least a case to be made based on what kind of criteria you're using. I don't see any case at all for Belkin not being on that, that top 100 list. And we had him pretty high. I don't have him in front of me. I think we had him around 50 or so. So, I mean, he, he made it and made our list easily. As far as Crosby, I think we had Crosby kind of in the 15 to 20 range. And, okay. you know, this was... This was a couple years ago, so you know he's had, he had another cup since. Uh, you know he's he's certainly moving up. He's a guy that I think by the end is certainly going to be in the top ten. Might be pushing that top five discussion. You know there's sort of the the the, the almost the, the the Mount Rushmore of of kind of Gretzky or Howe is is the unbreakable trio at the top, and then most people I think by now have got Mario number four. Uh, and then maybe Rocket Richard or somebody like that, number five. Uh, can Sidney Crosby get into that conversation? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think potentially he can. Um, you know, it, certainly if he's if his career goes, you know, he plays another five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, you know, the numbers he's going to have are going to be way up there. It's it's going to be uh, interesting to see how he's viewed and and how the typical fan or the typical media member is able to kind of reconcile the different eras and the fact that. Sidney Crosby is one of the greatest players of all time, and yet when he retires, he's going to have a, a point total that's that's not going to look as impressive as uh, as it would have if he played in the 80s and 90s and uh, you know those, those sorts of eras that were higher scoring. Yeah. Um, is, which is a real shame. I mean, I I, I know I've, I've beaten this drum so many times, so did so many different places, but the 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 way that the NHL just completely dropped the ball as far as making sure that offense stayed a part of the game and the game stayed fast and exciting and the fact that guys like Sidney Crosby uh, you know, are going to play their whole careers without ever having a chance to put up the kind of numbers that you know, a Mario Lemieux you know, forget Mario and Wayne but they're probably on another planet forever um, but you know, even, even to put up Steve Eiserman type numbers um, I think it's a real shame I think it's a real shame that Connor McDavid might be even better than Sidney Crosby and has already won two scoring titles and is easily the the most dynamic exciting explosive player in the game and has never scored 110 points i mean it, you know this yeah. the the way that we've just watered everything down in this in this league in this era is is very frustrating but of course any uh rational and intelligent view uh of of where players slot in is going to take that into consideration so you know does sydney get into that you know i i think by the end of it assuming he stays healthy we're probably having him right in that kind of Rocket Richard, John Beliveau, uh, you know, five, six, seven range. Um, you know, can he bump Mario out of number four? I, it'd, it'd be awfully tough for him to bump him out of my number four because, you know, to me, Mario Lemieux is the most single most skilled player I've ever seen in my life. Um, but uh, he, he he might be knocking on that door as best case. Say we're 50, jump 50 years ahead here and somebody else is writing – uh, another book on the history of the NHL. Um, everything up until now pretty much stays the same. But what are we talking about 50 years from now about uh, the quote-unquote history of the NHL uh, going forward? Yeah, you know, and and I did in the book 
the last chapter of the book is is my look at kind of the next hundred years and and where I think we're going. And uh, you know, certainly it's 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 tough to make predictions. If you had been doing this in in 1968, you you probably wouldn't have gotten uh, too much uh, right about the the rest of it. But I, you know. I think the league, it's going to be a much bigger league. There's going to be expansion. I think that expansion will, will almost certainly include Europe, uh, maybe even beyond. Maybe we're into Asia by then. Maybe we've got a team in, or, or a few teams in China. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see style of the game will be different. I think it'll be higher scoring. At some point, you know, it, even mm-hmm. as cynical and pessimistic as I am, I don't think we go another 50 years of dead puck era and, and 3-2 games and, and expecting fans to shell out hundreds of dollars to watch guys block shots uh, and to watch neutral zone traps and to watch big giant goalies come out and cut down the angle and not even move to make the save and just let the puck hit them. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's going to happen because if you fast-forward yourself, time travel 50 years in the future and sit down in an NHL rink, you're going to see the nets are bigger. I think that's just the obvious okay. answer. The goalies are bigger. The equipment's bigger. The goalies don't want smaller equipment. They say they get hurt too easy. Just make the nets a little bit bigger. Let's just, you know, let, yeah, let's have it, it. You know, anyone who's ever seen, uh, you know, a photo of Wayne Gretzky winding up to take a slap shot, and you look at the goalie, and you look at all the net around him for Wayne to shoot at, let's give Connor McDavid the same the same net to shoot at and see what he can do. So I think you'll see that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you got wider ice. I wouldn't be surprised if you got four-on-four hockey uh, you know, I, I think there's there's a good chance that you know maybe we'll we'll see even more radical type of rule changes. Uh, and uh, you know, we we knock on wood that the game is still strong, the league is still strong. We knock on wood that the league still exists and hasn't been wiped out by uh, you know concussion litigation or or some other crisis that um, you know we maybe don't even know about right now. Um, but uh, you know, I think it'll still be there. I hope uh, I hope it's been given a chance to to shine. And be the best it can be, and if it is a niche sport still, uh, then so be it. But at least let's let's have it be the the best niche sport that it can be, and uh, you know, and uh, hopefully uh, at, at the end of the day, whatever the league looks like, as long as the Maple Leafs have just won one, <laughs> I will be happy. Yeah, completely. yeah. Like, just give me one. I think I, you know, fifty. I'll hit the treadmill as soon as I get off the phone with you guys. I think I can <laughs> maybe squeeze fifty more years out. Just give me one Stanley Cup in that time, and I'll be happy. Sean, this has been a tremendous interview. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the Pensburg podcast and join us. Uh, for, for everyone who is interested in following Sean, you can do just that on Twitter uh, at Down Goes Brown. Uh, and also remember, he, he like we've been talking about for the last 20, 25 minutes, he has a, a tremendous new book out. The, the Down Goes Brown history of the NHL is out now for everyone and anyone who wants to pick up a copy. Sean, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Uh, you've, provi- you've provided some great answers. Uh, and who knows, maybe 50 years from now, we we will be ce- – well, I won't be celebrating, but you'll probably be celebrating a, a, a Stanley Cup in Toronto. I, I, fingers crossed, and, and hope, yeah, maybe we'll get a second edition of the book out uh, for, the, for the 150 years, and uh, everybody will be happy. All right, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. We really appreciate it. Right on. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. That was Sean McIndoe, also known as Down Goes Brown. You can find him on Twitter, at Down Goes Brown on Twitter. Uh, And again, you can also find his book, The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL, is available online and in probably every single bookstore imaginable. Uh, Sean provided some really great, interesting NHL and Penguins tidbits of history. Uh, Robbie, I thought it was a tremendous interview and Heaping, heaping the praise on Crosby and Malkin as a Leafs fan, it's not something you hear all that much. You, you know, you have the you have the uh, the interpretation or the understanding that you know Leafs fans can be uh, some of the more uh, some of the more unfriendly NHL fans in terms of fan bases. But uh, no, no, Sean was a tremendous guest, and uh, I really hope to have him on in the future. Yeah, he was great, absolutely. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode of the Pensburg podcast. Uh, Robbie, I want to thank you for coming on and, and lending your talents to the discussion here that we had uh, with uh, recapping what the Penguins have done and also in the interview. So if you wouldn't mind, where can the fine folks uh, who listen to this wonderful podcast, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter is where I am at most of the time. It's at RJ Noggle 2. That's at R-J-N-A-U-G-L-E, the number two. Uh, I'm on there. And you can also find me, of course, at Pensburg. 
I am part two of the Pens Points team along with Garrett. Uh, that is where you'll find most of my stuff with the occasional uh, other pieces as well. But yeah, uh, Twitter, if you want to reach out, um, that's where you can get me at RJ Novel too. You can find Robbie there. You can find myself uh, on Twitter as well at G Bahana at G B E H A N N A. We have a brand new Twitter account de- dedicated strictly to the Pensburg podcast. You can follow the podcast Twitter handle uh, at Pensburg Pod at Pensburg P O D. You can you can get alerted through Twitter uh, when a new episode of the Pensburg podcast goes out. Uh, we have an email address where you can send us listener questions, listener feedback. Tell how, tell us how wonderfully or poorly we're doing this operation. Uh, you can send anything you want to Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to uh, stay notified through your streaming service of choice for when new episodes of the Pensburg Podcast goes out. Uh, we are available through SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, uh, please take two minutes out of your day at most to, to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or your streaming platform of choice. It is greatly appreciated. It lets us know that all the hard work that we're doing here uh, for the Pensburg podcast is paying off, and we're happy to, to see that we're slowly but surely getting a, a dedicated following, which is awesome to see. Uh, but uh, for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Uh, thank you so much for listening to another awesome episode of the, P- the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.